0: Esther McVeigh, the Minister for Common Sense. Labour, a democratic party that is prepared to vote against a ceasefire in Gaza. Uh, the Tories that think that with one Bound and one David Cameron, they are somehow free. Uh, it's an extraordinary week in politics. Hi, Choms, and welcome to this week's Lesley Riddick podcast. And
1: if anyone is wondering why the weather has turned so stinking and wet, particularly in this part of Scotland over the past couple of days, it's my fault. I went out and bought solar uh, lights for the back garden to string along the fence, which were going to look rather pretty. Put them up and there's not been a whisper, a whisper of sunlight ever since. So that's it. It's me. It's the purchase of the solar (laughs) lights. But at least it's not as bad as Iceland. Is it?
0: Well, yeah. Actually, I was just checking on Iceland. If anyone hasn't noticed, uh, they're having a. The Ricanis Peninsula, which is where their, um, which is where their airport, Keflavik, is based, uh, is a very well. The whole place is volcanically active, but that area particularly has recently had volcanic eruptions over the last five years. But it is having one humdinger of of an eruption right now at a place called Grindavik. Um, There's 4,000 people in that uh, town have been evacuated, actually, and it's got a massive blooming crack right across the main road into Grindavik, And it looks like, you know, they're measuring seismic lava flows, uh, magma flows just beneath the surface there. And it does look like something's about to blow. So yeah, it kind of puts things into perspective a bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, just a time. But I noticed I saw the the uh, evacuees, if you like, they're evacuating. I think it's Grunvik? I think it is that they're Grindvik. Uh, Grindvik. They're evacuating Grindvik, and I noticed there was absolutely no panic whatsoever in yeah. the in the Icelanders who were all just getting in their cars. Oh yes, we're we back. We picked up our stuff and we're leaving again. Very calm, no panic. Well, you know, if
0: anybody does want to actually ha- have mm-hmm. a look at this, have a look at the Iceland film. That's one of the, the five films that's on the website, com forward slash films, because, you know, part of the whole resilience and outlook of the Icelanders is based upon the fact they have 12 small earthquakes a day <laughs> for normal. Mm. So, you know, so basically these guys are quite used to do, you know, it's not every day that something quite as big as that happens, but they are used to ducking and weaving, let's say, and um, living on a volcano because Iceland is actually a volcano, essentially. So, you know, it, it does it does kind of produce a frisky outlook, which is what we could sort of do with people.
1: Yeah, well, I was I was I was looking at the fact I was going to say no panic stations amongst the icelanders plenty of panic stations uh in the tory party plenty of political eruptions in the tory party as oh, well you know no. oh yeah you know, yep yes i'm here all week um but yes this was uh the reshuffle i mean there's plenty to say about it but i mean i suppose i've got to start with it the, the the big news which seemed to excite everyone that happened live the drawing up of the vehicle with blacked out windows and out steps who Ian Dale referred to rather strangely, and I was just slightly yuckily as daddy. It's Cameron. He's back.
0: Yeah. I mean, everybody by now, everybody's seen the kind of, oh, my God, you know, and as if by magic, you know, when with one bound, they're free and kind of, you know, it's all fantastic. now. Cause safe boy, David, hug a hoodie, kind of, you know, be nice. Mm-hmm. to his, I'm sort of green. You know, I don't look quite as venal as the rest of them back from the good old days when, you know, there wasn't arbitrary attempts to prorogue parliament, which seems to be the benchmark (laughs) for everything being all right now. But I mean, interestingly, um, there's been an opinion poll uh, done as to quite where everybody is on this. I've just kind of lost it annoyingly on all the stuff on the laptop. But um, the 71% of people in Britain, now this is not just, you know, Scots, but Britain think it was good that Suella Braverman went. Now, that's, yeah. you know, that's very important for what will probably follow in the rest of this, because you, <clears throat> the way this is being spun by everyone else. And what makes me so angry that now that I actually have discovered I have actually got blood pressure problems, I probably, re, you know, quite wise to avoid. Mm. It time, but I now probably have to sw- turn a lot of things off because the airtime that is being given to the notion that Suella Braverman speaks for any considerable constituency in Britain. Look at that opinion poll. It's 71% of people are glad she's gone. When you look at, you know, whether or not David Cameron's a good appointment, and I wish to God I could find this poll again, I think it was about 34% thought it was good. Maybe, you know, I think maybe the other way around. There was slightly more thought it was bad than good. Um, So that, you know, nobody, it could even be that people, um, you know, the way that the electorate, particularly the English electorate, and let's face it, there's 60 million of them, there's 5 million of us. Yeah. So, you know, whatever is largely happening south of the border will always kind of predominate. But, I mean, these guys have been so coached now um, that, that you know, the, the, the whole society has no collective memory. Uh, so David Cameron is probably, you know, for, for some of us who are kind of political followers, yeah, we remember this guy. But to me, the other test of how much people don't seem to remember anything that's happened is can anyone please talk about austerity? Yeah. You know, everyone's going through the whole kind of, oh, you know, David Cameron, one day he got out of a car door and he opened it to the left. And the other day he got out and opened it to the right. My God, what an unpredictable guy he was. And then he went, you know, he'd got this policy in China, then it changed a bit the next year and everything. Hello. You know, he was the architect, along with George Osborne, of an utterly cruel and pointless austerity, which and and this is not just kind of like, you know, the, the opinion of sort of lefties, but Sir Michael Marmot did a report at the behest of the government in 2020, which looked at health impacts over 10 years in England, particularly, and discovered there had been, quote, unprecedented damage to health and life chances as a result, essentially, of austerity. And that for the first time in 100 years, life expectancy had stalled amongst men and had reversed amongst the poorest women in this country. So. You know, it makes me so angry actually that you know all anyone's interested in and is is these questions of you know just kind of what marginal take, take he had on this and that, when the massive impact and okay we'll get on to talk about Brexit and all the rest of it, but before Brexit was even a thought in his mind. He has already had the biggest possible impact on this country by introducing the utterly cruel sanction regimes, which the Scottish Parliament has since then been spending money trying to mitigate. So, you know, geez, you know, David Cameron, the nice David Cameron, you know, hush puppy David Cameron. You could introduce him to your grandmother. No. And actually, from a Scottish point of view, again, thank God for the Scots. Because uh, in 2010, when he just made it, you know, to kind of oust Gordon Brown, there was one Tory MP. By 2015, you know, kind of in the middle of his watch, there was one Tory MP. So the idea, you know, there was never a Cameron bounce north of the, bar- the border. And this is, I think, the, you know, the important thing for everybody with this is, OK, there's something marginal to do with personalities here. There's something kind of larger to do with politics and whichever one of them pops up, whether it's Cameron or Theresa May or Boris Johnson or, you know, Rishi Sunak. The point is, these are all Tories drifting ever right toward, although we'll probably talk about whether or not Cameron is, a, is an attempt mm. to look like you're shuffling back to the middle ground again. But nonetheless, their middle ground is our unacceptable right wing. <laughs> yes, and I'm just not hearing that. I'm not hearing that on Radio Scotland. I'm not hearing that on BBC Scotland. I'm not hearing our perspective, which has been borne out by election after election after election, and even, you know, by a British poll that suggests how off beam all of this conversation actually is.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, th- th- that was the thing when everybody's cheering that Braverman went. I mean, and apparently it was down to our comments about uh, lifestyle choices of the homeless, many of whom are from abroad. Uh, that was the that was the last the last straw for them. But the thing about it is, nothing will change now. it has gone. It will be. Tone. It will be presentation. It because the criticism of her came from. Oh, it was the language she used, and you were absolutely correct, Leslie. Because the the the, the narrative that's been promulgated. I mean, I was listening to Isabel Oakeshott and others today, and they were turning saying, of course, that that uh, she's saying uh, Braverman said what the country believes, and from what that opinion poll would suggest, no, she is not. It was to a particular segment. Of people who would uh, who who, are, who have voted conservative and possibly vote conservative in the future that that she was appealing and I mean it's glaringly obvious just as a little aside the fact that what she's going for is she she aimed obviously she knew something was coming after her statements about the the homeless so she was able then to go out and write that that horrendous article uh, uh, that 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 then tipped the balance because she had a free hit at it but nothing will change cleverly has turned out in the new home secretary now turned around and said, no, we're going to, our primary thing is to tackle small boats. And the, cl- the, the straws that are being clutched at is that James cleverly, as you noted, has turned around and said that he is not in favour of withdrawing from the Euro Convention on Human Rights. And if that actually makes you a lefty and a liberal, my God, what have we come to? That, but the policy in Rwanda will stand. If they manage to get it through the Supreme Court tomorrow, the policy will stand. Yeah. The, and all the other policies will stand. And I, I was, it's a, I'll be coming onto this a bit. A thing I'm going to mention now as well. What offends me as well is the, the, the cosy perspective that is taken on people like Osborne and Cameron uh, w- without the benefit of hindsight, because Ed Balls was in a podcast, chatting away very cosily to, to George Osborne. Now, this is a Labour Chancellor rick Shepper. He was able to chat very cosily and exchange little anecdotes about how nice it was the work with the queen and, queen. and at the height of austerity, she actually told Osborne that he, he shouldn't be cutting funding for the Army Piping School. And he went back and immediately changed it. And you're thinking to yourself, is this the game that people are playing? They're, and it's just that sense that the the, the, there is no ideological divide, and it's all piled together once they're out of office. And, and the policies that are being pursued now, will, as I say, will be continued by the Conservatives. And, and the whole thing has been focused on its personality changes.
0: Yeah. Actually, <clears throat> I've been sort of having a look for this. I, now, of course, I can't find my 71%, but I've stumbled across another, I think it's different, poll by the Daily Express, Right which Mm -hmm. was kind of pointed out by GB news. So, okay, there's all the flags up here, folks. Should Suella Braverman be sacked? Yes. 63%.
1: That's GB news. Yeah. Yeah. No,
0: 37%. So the thing is, you know, and as many people are saying, where is this blinking narrative? And, you know, this is again, this thing of basically, you know, people coming on and ranting on about her just speaking for the majority and nobody, no, no interviewer, jumping mm-hmm. in and calling that out. Now, I mean, they're either not reading these opinion polls or they're nodding off when these guys are ranting or they're scared of them. Yeah. And it's not yeah. good enough. It's totally not good enough because I think we're going through another a sort of we're going through another Iraq war moment here with yeah. a lot of things. We're probably morphing too quickly onto the situation in Palestine, Israel, Gaza But, you know, the public is quite evidently totally fed up with whatever face the Tories are putting at the moment. I mean, that's what the opinion polls would tell you. Um, But they're also fed up with the lack of action on taking a stand for peace. Yeah. what, that, too, just like this uh, oh, Suella Braverman speaking for a lot of people when she suggests that the that the police uh, in London particularly are sort of more, you know, pro-left, which yeah. is the right wing, And you sort of think, oh, mm, God, right. You know, I sit watching Channel 4 News probably every other night. And there is a never ending stream of cases of criticism of the Metropolitan Police, which they've actually accepted themselves Um of their handling of all sorts of cases lately, um, especially um, in the case of rape, murder uh, against you know the the the, picture, yeah. the guys that were standing laughing, taking pictures of the two lassies that were stand, lying dead behind them. I mean, God Almighty! Uh, you know, there was whole protests by feminists about the way that they've they 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 covered. You know, I mean, it's it. I I'm sort of looking at that and thinking, right. And we're suggesting here that basically the police are just in the, the pockets of the left. Yeah. Because that's certainly with the way that the left seem to perceive this. And in any case, it's not her shout in public. You know, you, you can't have a Home Secretary that's biffing the, you know, the police around. I mean, people talk about the timing of all of this. And if we look what is going to happen here, uh, you know, tomorrow, the Supreme Court judgment will come out about whether or not the uh, Rwanda policy is lawful or not. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation that they will come out and say it's not lawful. At which point, uh, if Suella Brabham was still here, her solution to that would be to come out of the European Convention of Human Rights, which would then basically mean it doesn't really matter, then it it can be lawful because there's nothing for it to conflict with. Um, And that would be where she would be going because she is as right wing as hell, right? So in anticipation of that, uh, you had to look at this and think you've got to get rid of her before that, because she'll probably still come out with that from the back benches. Mm -hmm. And how many utter bams on the Tory benches will decide that that's a good solution for them. But Sunak clearly was not wanting to go that far to kind of, you know, come out of the ECHR. And that was a moment that, you know, perhaps we were told back when we were looking at the Supreme Court judgment for Um, the Scottish Parliament's ability to, you know, have its own referendum, November last year, actually, pretty much this time, strangely enough, um, that, you know, the the government was usually given a bit of a heads up ahead of the um, announcement of these pivotal judgments by the Supreme Court. So let's just say either they had a bit of an idea of what's coming or, you know, just looked at the kind of legal um, advice they've got and could see that it was quite possible they would be cruising to that direction. Well, they'd have to have got rid of her equally. uh, Making David Cameron a lord. Now, I know it does need take a lot to do that in our so-called constitution. You just decide who your pals are and you just basically make them lords. I mean, it reminds me of all the old Monty Python sketches, you know, when you could cure the whole world of diseases by just jolly well telling everyone what to do. Um this is all you need to do to to solve that problem. However, and there's still a bit of, you know, paperwork to be done. But, you know, that didn't happen right that day. There was a kind of, you know, a little bit of planning involved in all of this. So I think, you know, they've had a wee bit of a run at this. Just as you say, it, the last straw seems to have been the kind of lifestyle stuff on the streets, not the in, uh, incitement that, uh, happened, which resulted in the far right being on the streets mm-hmm. protecting a cenotaph that was in no danger of having any pro-Palestinian or pro-Peace people anywhere near it on Saturday, um, and people have just looked at that and thought this woman is an inflammatory bam, mm-hmm. you know. So this is where they've got themselves with all of that, I think. But they've still got the problem tomorrow because they're still very possibly, probably, by the sound of it going to be a ruling that you can't it's not lawful to send people off to Rwanda and if you aren't going to come out of the ECHR then what are they going to do you know yeah. it's a problem
1: yeah well I mean and uh it's The the thing about it as well, Leslie, that gets to me, this is all pure politics. This has been done as a set of machinations by Rishi Sunak in order to shore up as a last ditch, I think, stand, in order to try and secure some form of continuing coalition in the Conservative Party that might actually get them out of the next general election uh, without it being an absolute disaster. And I mean, because you've got to, yeah, I'll see you, Suella Braverman, and raise you Esther McVeigh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know the women who thought the Velasquez Venus at her toilet uh, was it was appalling had been attacked by just stop oil protesters because they were attacking a portrait, albeit painted in the seventeenth century, of suffragettes. And I mean, it's just at that is to say, what's the point in being ignorant if you can't let people know about it? But Esther McVeigh that. is back and she's sitting around the cabinet table there. And that's again, that's a, a sap to, to, and, to the right.
0: And you listen to them because I mean, this morning, I'm trying, tra- you know, the, the struggle is to remember these guys' names because they're all nabdies to yes. us. But the guy who is, you know, the nabdie who is the new Tory party chair, Hobden, is that right? Somebody Hobden?
1: It's, it's Holden or Hobden. Holden or something like that, right? Anyway,
0: yeah. um so he was on you know and sort of stuttering his way through his first you know mm. performance not not terribly well it would have to be said on the today program uh, richard holden let's try and get this right um who also, but at the moment, it would have to be said, has no seat to defend at the next general election because it's been redistributed out of history. (laughs) So I guess there's a guy he's got, you know, he's got nowhere to go. (laughs) So he might as well be chair of the Tory party. But, you know, he he was also, you know, he's lobbed that question. And I mean, even people like, you know, Nick Robinson, who was a former blooming councillor in the Tory party, um you know asking it and hardly able to contain his mirth at the idea of you know a minister of for common sense yes oh it's just you know and like what is that brief what does that even mean and i mean you know your man hold made a total hips of it i mean you'd really need to be sitting in the loo and run that one past yourself just out loud about a million times before it didn't sound as bad as it sounded which was basically that um that she brings a certain different sort of view to things, which is just barking, basically. Uh, yeah, um, and, yeah. and just so nakedly, you have to have another right wing bam in there to try to look at <laughs> like some sort of um, kind of substitute for, for losing Suella Braverman. I mean, it, as you say, th- th- I mean, what offends me? Is listening to people. I was on a, a actually, I think, pretty good conversation about this on Al Jazeera, funnily enough. Um, and uh, and the way that the conversation is conducted, um, and on on many parts of the BBC, it's this same thing where the presenters are kind of going, "Oh well, it's been a very more eventful day today." Mm-hmm. So, like hey, look, you know, somebody's just completely blown up our democracy. My God, we were so busy. You know, where did you hear the news? Oh, well, I was in a tube. I was in, you know, getting the burn from the nursery or something delivering. And it's all kind of like, whoop, well, you know, gosh, everything's livened up a bit, hasn't it? Our lives have just become a bit boring. And, and this is about democracy imploding. I yeah. mean, you sound like such a total old wedge when you have to kind of point out, as I did on the Al Jazeera one. And the guy, one of the guys started contradicting me. And I thought, just come here, Sonny. Um, <laughs> you know, no, a Lord cannot actually be questioned on the floor of the House of Commons. Yep. That, you know, and of course, give it a day and everybody catches up. This is why you cannot bow to these people. You need to know your stuff as a presenter. And when they're talking shite, you need to go in and actually just correct it. But these guys were trying to say, oh, no, he, you know, he's easily able to, to come into the house. No. <laughs> and I mean, again, it's like, oh, gosh, it's so boring, winching on about democracy. And you just think this is why we are a laughingstock. This is yeah. you know, this is the slippery slope to blooming nowhere that we're all stuck with, because that is what you, you know, that is what passes for acceptable in terms of public broadcasting as well.
1: Well, interestingly, because uh, I was on the same Radio 4 programme this morning, Michelle Hussain was talking uh, to Rachel Reeves and she asked her about uh, the, the Labour Party commitment, given the fact she was asked the question, Rachel Reeves, do you think it's appropriate for uh, a member of the House of Lords to be a, a cabinet minister? And of course, remembering, maybe Rachel was thinking about to Peter Mammelton being brought back uh, during the last vestiges of the the, the Brown administration and uh, she says oh and that's not what people are talking about you know people are talking about cost of living and mortgages, etc no let's forget the democratic bit and then she was asked specific, very specifically uh will it still is it still labor party policy uh to uh get rid of the house of Lords and in, in the the first term of a labor government Answer came there, none. And Michelle then followed up with the fact of turning and saying, well, are you going to reduce the numbers? Yes, we're going to reduce the numbers. Uh, but will you have more Labour peers? And now, well, we've got to get our legislation through. Uh, you know, at, at that point, you're saying to yourself, I mean, it's, it is that whole thing about the democracy. And the other aspect of it is just in purely practical terms. That in 2014, believe it or not, was a cross-party, but the Tory majority on it, Political and Constitutional Reform Committee, this again talking about nerdy, uh, they said the complete negative impact of constant ministerial reshuffles. And we actually examined the, the length of time and the, the, the latest research was was a few years ago even the about the length of time that ministers spent in in cabinet offices compared with Germany Spain Portugal Italy uh, Italy I think even in Ireland but far less here lack of lack of decisions being made because of due the lack of the grasp of brief unwarranted delays. And what they suggested was that a cabinet secretary should be in place for at least four or five years and junior ministers should be in place at least for two years. We've had five home secretaries in two years, five health and social care secretaries in two years, and in and a and, and couple of cases, six working pension secretaries in four years when the whole universal credit debacle was taking place, and housing. The latest housing minister, Rachel Maclean, has only been in place for nine months, and she's supposed to be in charge of the major legislation in England on private rents and leaseholds. And, I mean, you're just saying to yourself, is this... Is this any way to run an organisation, let alone a country, where people are flying in and out with no background or experience in the briefs that they're being told to hold, trying to get a grip on it, and then before you look, they've gone. They've moved on to something else, seamlessly moved from health to the environment, from it, you know, and it's just it's just all done for political reasons and meanwhile the little people us out here are are laboring under the the delays and the lack of decision making that 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 takes place when all this is happening and that goes for any political party but the last the last two years it's been absolutely shocking
0: yeah um, well, and well, well tracked all those. Uh, you know, I thought it was only Grant Shapps that had a new job every four minutes, but you know, it's oh, a lot oh, of Grant,
1: but- <laughs> Grant Shapps. Well, oh, don't Grant Shapps, the man who actually thought it was really smart when he was talking about. Uh, the casualties of war uh, in Gaza to turn around and cite Dresden, which uh, with 25,000, I believe, people were incinerated by Allied bombing, which many experts have now said, under current Geneva Conventions, etc., would be designated a war crime. Yeah, yeah, that 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 grand mouthpiece. Sharps. Yeah. Anyway, let's.
0: Yeah, I just put him in the kind of bam bucket. Um, yes. <laughs> the point I was going to make was picking up your point about Labour's uncomfortableness with all of this. Is that, I mean, you know, it's OK, everyone was talking about Mandelson, but I mean, conveniently forgetting Labour peered Lord Sugar and that lot that yes. were drafted in. There's another one who I just can't quite remember. But, you know, he yeah, he was their uh, their kind of, you know, economics are whatever it was. No, their government's enterprise champion appointed by Gordon Brown from the house of lords you know so okay he wasn't a minister he was just a champion but uh you know it's the same kind of thing basically as you're quite right that that's the problem you see as soon as as labor can see they're going to be a part of government and so immediately you see what you're going to get with them which is no change i mean i'm sure we're going to talk about some of that soon but just coming back to where the dear old tories are with all of this Lest we, you know, before we start
1: (laughs) putting (laughs) putting a bit into labour,
0: yeah, you know, because let's just put the, you know, the anger where it's due, which is to the just shocking mess that Tories have brought everything into. Um, but there are some interesting sides to all of this. I mean, that you know, the speculation that that basically Sunak is now shifting, uh, from you know, concentration on the red to the blue wall. I mean, one day. Mm -hmm. Colour for Scotland in there, but probably not because there's wall here. Basically, <laughs> but still point being that they reckon they've lost the red wall probably to Labour anyway, and what they could defend is the blue wall against the Lib Dems in the kind of shires, which is basically the old cushy kind of areas the Tories used to do well in. So this is like trying to regroup in the back to mm-hmm. you know back to <laughs> back to the future uh, thing, which could be signalled by bringing David Cameron back in, because then was the good old days for these guys you know, that they basically knew where the, you know, where the Tory vote was. So that's a, you know, there's a possible thought. I mean, I see um, a a listener to this very podcast, Ruth Watson, has emailed in to say, you know, she being very involved, actually, with the whole aspect of food and and farming and uh, fishing uh, in Scotland, with Scotland the brand, and therefore with the EU and EU membership and Brexit, which, of course, everybody thinks is over, Um, You know, she was wondering if the Tories are even going to try and outflank Labour by starting to sound a little bit more pro EU and catch up once again with where the public is at with all of this. Probably not to kind of have another, you know, they're not going to be bold enough to try to have another referendum, but they might just start to have with Cameron somebody who can just sound like he's kind of pally with these guys again. I, I don't know. You know, that's a very bold thought. But it would serve Blooming Labour right, actually, if they got caught in a kind of pincer mechanism with that, because they haven't been brave enough to say boo to a goose. But anyway, tonight, there's a 1922 committee meeting, which is where all the, you know, the old swords will kind of be out in private. Um, And it will become evident how many people, uh, how many right wingers are totally hacked off within the the Conservative Party. Uh, There was all these rumours that there would be a phenomenal backlash. And, of course, then that just tells you a lot about the papers that you are reading and honestly folks da- daily mail clickbait bad for your health because you could accidentally find yourself reading stuff that suggests that there's um there's a letter uh, that was opposing the Suella Braverman sacking that with 32 MPs signed on it however there was a meeting yesterday of the new conservatives which was her oh, gang yeah. which apparently had either 12 or 13 people at it according to your sources so it's hard to know if anyone really gives a toss in the end about Suella Braverman, um, you know wh- where that's at. And doubtless this will kind of, you know, be the speculation that continues for some time. Um, and they'll just hope that she takes that whole cloud away with her, you know, all the all the sort uh, of the horror of her time at the top, you know, just disappears off like she was some kind of angry weird woman that just takes it all away with her, and they stand somehow. Uh, both uh, uh, the the party of change and the party of continuity, nationally, yes. you know, with David Cameron back on board. I mean, yes,
1: and uh, apparently, if the uh, the Supreme Court judgment goes against the government tomorrow, uh, Suela brahman is. Uh, going to come out with uh, damning revelations about Rishi Sunak and uh, policy, and it's rumoured to be on uh, opposition to uh, her strong stance on the small boats and how they should stop them. So we'll wait and see how that all plays out. But the the other thing I, I, I noted as well, along as with the along with the uh, the sackings, the significant number of resignations of, of conservative ministers who want to spend more time with their families, and that's a very laudable thing to do, and explore other options and i just wonder how much of this has got to do with the fact of the amount of time you got to leave uh under the uh acoba codes not laws the acoba codes which say how long you've got the, the the time period you've got to leave between uh being a minister and taking up a position uh within a related employment field. Um, now, these codes, Boris Johnson managed that, believe it or not, took up his job at the Daily Mail, I think it was about three days after he resigned as an MP and gave half an hour's notice to ACOBA. So it's a fairly toothless uh, uh, organisation to, to monitor ministerial uh, ethics there. So I just wonder how many of these folk have seen the writing on the wall, know the jigs up, and they're getting their they're jumping before they're pushed and know that they're going to lose their seats and they're not prepared to take part in the chicken run looking for another position. So yeah. there we go. That's 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 that little lot there. But resignations and a nice a nice little one to keep an eye on there. But uh, But again, Talking about tomorrow, uh, with the uh, the other significant event tomorrow will be the amendments which are now plural going to be presented to the King's speech, calling for a ceasefire uh, in Gaza. Um, interesting one there, because the SNP came out the, the traps very very early with this, put down uh, the amendment which uh, to the to the King's speech, and uh, I've said to to Labour, come on, show. Show a bit of backbone here. Uh, will your political stances trump morality? And uh, Labour seem to be trying to do something to outflank them, Leslie.
0: Yeah, but just unless we immediately get into the same gameplay, yeah. you know, in the end. Yeah, you're right. I mean, but, you know, it's just what is everybody watching if they're not watching what we're all watching and hearing? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the El Shafa Hospital has now got dead babies and has got a whole rake of babies lying, mm-hmm. and they have to decide who to put closer to the radiator. And, you know, the Israelis supposedly, and they did, drop off canisters of of of, pe- of uh, petrol to fuel the ventilators because they're also having to decide which babies to put in the ventilators. But someone who was in the know suggested how many thousands of litres it took to keep the ventilators going each day and that something like 30 had been dropped off in the collection of cans that there were I mean it was something like it would keep the ventilators going for an hour yeah so this is where we're at now and this is just babies so this is not talking about adults you know everybody This is a freaking hospital yeah. And when you get to the point of the Israelis will come on, and I mean, please, everybody just take as read that we are now all absolutely, maybe it, it has to be said every time I'm not taken as read that the Hamas attack on, on Israel on October the yeah. 7th was absolutely appalling. And the idea that cap- captives are still sitting there wondering what their fate relies upon now completely is just absolutely horrific. But we are now having collective punishment. I mean, not now, from the second, actually, that this all began. This has been collective punishment of the Palestinian people. And, um, you know, the the, the 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 idea the Israeli spokespeople will come on and say that um, Hamas are operating underneath hospitals. Now, I don't know whether they are or they aren't. The people who are surgeons in these hospitals, it seem to me, pretty straight up and admirable people who don't seem to try and weaponize very much in their tr- sort of admirably factual reports about the appalling circumstances they're in and guys who could have left and didn't yes. leave, you know, which which for ordinary people watching, listening, your 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 estimation of who should get the next Nobel Prize, Prize is kind of like, you know, these doctors are pretty much there. So if, if they're saying that they have not got tunnels under their hospital, I'd be sort of at least hearing that But even if there was uh, tunnels under the hospital, the point would be that that would be presumably an implicit in in the the suggestion is that no one would expect anyone to bomb a hospital. Yeah, that's if that's why they're underneath the hospital. That's why they're there, because they would have thought incorrectly, as it turns out, that there would be some some level of pummeling of a hospital that, that you could just decide wouldn't happen. And clearly, it's like all bets are off, whether it's babies, surgeons, old people, you know, terrified families sheltering in a hospital because they too stupidly thought that hospitals would somehow be off bounds. No, nothing's off bounds. Nothing is off bounds. And so we're all watching this all the time, hearing it, watching it, um, a poll suggests 69 percent of people are very up to speed with what's happening every day in israel gaza 61 percent with ukraine and there's the problem you know at the moment for ukraine because you know big terrible problem for them to kind of come off the the the, the kind of front pages in a sense 81 percent however on the cost of living crisis so for a lot of people that's still up there i mean totally it's right at the top but 69 percent are following this every day now who the heck are these people who are still talking as if this is not happening and yeah. we're not hearing what we're hearing? And the evidence of our own eyes and ears and our, our, just all our instincts as humans yeah. are not triggered every time you hear this. I and mean, the absolute impotence that we're all feeling, allowing people to be blown up like just People. And what you want to come out and just not get 100 percent behind something like a ceasefire. And you're a progressive. I mean, let's not say socialist because, you know, that's not there. Yeah, That's just not on. So, you know, where we are with this. Okay, there's now the SNP, you know, have put tabled an amendment. Stephen Flynn has tabled an amendment for tomorrow, basically calling for a ceasefire. And um, they're g- good on Richard Leonard, for example, Absolutely. Um, who is online with a, a lot of what now is another interesting point here, because there's a group of, if you like, Corbynite Labour, Scottish Labour, who are now fairly much acting as a group. Um, you know, who who support, who are who are appalled, obviously, by a lot of Keir Starmer stuff, um, but they have lined up with Richard Leonard to say they want they they would be backing. That that measure by Stephen Flynn, a lot of them are also backing a green motion that's been put into the Scottish Parliament um, on the same lines to back a ceasefire so that the, the kind of, you know, the, the old Corbynite part of the Scottish Labour Party is now moving away from the Anna Sarwar kind of and Jackie Bailey. Gee, there's another yeah. blood pressure problem, um, you know, side of the party. Uh, to say, no, we absolutely are not going there. And there's so many uh, ministers apparently are saying behind the scenes that they would rather resign than vote against a ceasefire tomorrow. Yeah. So there's been, as you you come in and just, you know, you, there's, the Labour has now been trying to figure out a way to kind of get somewhere near a ceasefire without having to vote for the SNP motion.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, they, they, apparently they put down, down their own motion. I mean, I listened to Darren Jones. And I I didn't know who Darren Jones was until I listened to the podcast I did with Chris, and then I looked up Darren Jones, and he seems to be a go-to man now for the Labour Party to come out, who said that uh, these amendments uh, on a ceasefire uh, were were purely performative and symbolic. They would have no impact. Um, You know, and it's just that, well, what's, what's the point? What's the point of you if you're not actually going? Because he said he would vote for a ceasefire if he thought it would have any impact whatsoever. Whereas, of course, there is a significant impact that the Labour Party goes along with the uh, consensus uh, between themselves and the Conservatives on supporting Israel no matter what they do. And that's the reality. No matter what they do, they're going to urge Israel to, to stick to the international conventions. They're going to urge and stick with an international law, whereas we can actually clearly see and has been, as you said, from minute one, that they have not operated within the framework of international law in terms of the targeting of civilians. They've called for a, a humanitarian pause. And along with many other people, I was taken aghast by that. What are you are going to do? You're going to provide fuel. You're going to buy food. You're going to provide water and then go back to bombing the bits out of it everybody that's there and I've actually seen I mean and I I try and stay clear that but there was a, a video went up yesterday of uh, these kids in one of the the camps talking about how they're and they were just eight nine ten year old and I and it was a and they were just speaking to camera as eight nine ten year olds and talking about how frightened they were and it's just unbearable but it's talking about the, the, moving again back to the politics of it a bit. Again, I kind of get away from the humanity. But back to the politics of it, Jackie Bailey claiming that the SNP were game playing and playing punch and Judy politics. 'Cause she said everybody knows that Anna Sauer and Scottish Labour are for a ceasefire. Well we'll see what happens if, if that comes in front of Holyrood. But secondly, she could give no response whatsoever as to whether the two MPs, Ian Murray and Michael, I know my own mind, I'll do my own thing. I'm not I won't be enthralled to what the UK Labour Party Shanks will vote when that comes to that. So we'll just wait and wait and see. And there's been no statement yet on whipping. Uh, by the Labour Party but the statement that appears to come out that I think it was uh, uh, politics Joe said that Labour MPs supporting the SNP amendment would undermine Labour in Scotland because undermining the SNP and uh, Trump's morality and Trump's humanity and uh, you made that, that clear point as well, Leslie, earlier, talking about Labour in government. And if you noted the number of times, and that was specifically referred to in these amendments, we would not, su- we would not support a ceasefire, says Stammer, if we were in government. David Lamy, when interviewed, term- said, Oh, uh, I've got to consider the fact that I may be Foreign Secretary in the future Labour government. I can't be going around supporting ceasefire and saying these things. How far have we come from Robin Cook? How far have we come mm-hmm. from a moral foreign policy
0: yeah yeah totally and i mean it seems like the, i mean the guardian is predicting that its it sources say that tomorrow um stormer could face a dozen shadow ministers resigning over this well so you know it's it is not a small thing and meanwhile back at the reality i mean all of this about would a ceasefire make any difference i mean we've talked about this before You might as well not bother doing anything in international politics. You cannot, in one bound, create the outcome you want. But you start to change the direction of course. There will be, you know, there's still the difficulty of Israel's anger and fury. But that's not the role of the international community is to place a different template upon it, not to reflect back the anger and uh, and fury but to try to mitigate with other factors that in the end, Israel would want someone as a good neighbor to have tried to, to do. Yeah. And I mean, there was an excellent piece um, written by Ehud Olmert, who is a former
1: mm-hmm.
0: Israeli prime minister, who's basically saying his like just a couple of days ago was saying that basic, basically Benjamin Netanyahu, he thinks, has been destroyed emotionally by his failure on national security and um, his judgment calls. He, he thinks Netanyahu is in a state of nervous breakdown because all the opinion polls are in, in Israel are that people almost want him out now. Yeah, uh, they blame him so much. Um he, Olmert sort of suggests that his, uh, you know, the fact that there is no strategy for what your end game would be in Gaza, you know, that comment that was made by him that just got flipped over, which was that, uh, you know, Israel would take over the external, what was it, security for Gaza, mm-hmm. which basically means occupation. I mean, even the, the, the Americans were alerted at that point. And, of course, because they're so careful about how they, you know, they understate things, you know, there was just a, a kind of. I think a comment that that would be ill-advised. Well, I mean, that's a kind of no way, Jose. Now, I mean, it's not clear who or what kind of possible post Hamas governance of Gaza there can be. But as sure as hell, it ain't going to be Israel going back in there. So if, if anybody wants to kind of ask Netanyahu, what is your rationale now for what you're doing in Gaza? There's just nothing except keeping going because we began. And um, that absolutely needs reflected, shored up, repeated, articulated. And that's what everyone on the streets has been trying to do so that, you know, we're again at this stage uh, mirroring where we were with Iraq, where no one and the media just didn't pay attention to millions of people being on the streets. Last weekend in London, um, the polls put it at half a million. The demonstrators said they. Uh, the organisers said it was eight hundred thousand. I'll bet it'll be a million this weekend. Yeah. And this is not going to go away. It won't go away in Glasgow or Edinburgh either, or Dundee, in fact, where people were out. You know. Yeah. People will if 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 all you've got, and this is the point that Labour should take on board in a proper democracy, you would expect one of the main parties to be articulating the views of people such that they would feel they were being heard. But when you have both the Tories and Labour going, oh, I don't really hear anything about ceasefire whatever, you don't have that uh, democracy working properly. Actually, just by the by, it's so much less bloody and important. But Exactly the same on Brexit. The majority of people want to now have Brexit regret in England. But no, nobody's articulating that. And this is when democracy fails. The only way people can manage to say Absolute something way. is by getting on the blinking streets. And actually, although there was one posse with the, head, the face masks and, you know, one yeah. group that was 150 of them not arrested, but lifted for questioning, um, the rest of it passed off incredibly peacefully for 800,000 people. Now, pro rata, the far right bunch that turned up, got a whack rate of 126 arrests for probably a, about 1,000 people. So, yeah. you know, this is where if if the media again and the BBC and any presenters have to really search their conscience now, there is no equivalence. You can't do on the one hand, on the other hand, you know, A million people marching peacefully with maybe one arrest or even 100 arrests is not the same as 126 arrests from the far right actually attacking police, attacking police uh, at Cenotaph. So we're going to keep seeing this because the public has no way to communicate to politicians that are not listening. And Labour is at the centre of that. I mean, you know, the SNP have been on the right side of this from the beginning. Although I think we're going on to talk about this horrible man, Douglas Murray. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, I was speaking to somebody who was in the States recently and uh, the guy actually, he was speaking to a guy there who knew about Hamza Yusuf, because he said, yeah, you've got a Muslim who basically wants white people out of your country. And, you know, this guy said, don't think so. What? Yeah. And, what it is, is that that video that's that's doing the rounds about the speech that Hamza Youssef made mm-hmm. a while ago about the white nature of practically everything in Scottish society, which is not something that is inaccurate. And actually yeah. was the same point when it comes to the police that was made by the deeply white uh, Ian Livingston, Sir Ian Livingston, probably now, um, who was the, the head of Police Scotland when he stood down last year. Yeah, that there was institutional racism in the Scottish police force and the new lass that's running it has undertaken, you know, she said he's not wrong and kind of expanded the front, basically. And so that's all the stuff that there is to tackle. But especially in America, which is where your Douglas Murray guy was on an American programme, there seems to have just been a real pushing of that video around the place that makes it look like a wild eyed kind of Muslim is, is now running Scotland and basically wants white people out.
1: Yeah, a, a, a wild-eyed radical, you know, who's infiltrated, according to Douglas Murray, our system, who should be called the first minister of Gaza. I'm not going to even attempt Murray's accent i mean i mean i know i shouldn't be talking but it's just this sneering drawling uh over educated well beyond his intelligence uh, accent that he's got it's the first minister of gaza and the appalling thing he said about nadia el nakla he said that of course he's married to a palestinian a nasty piece of work, and this was on the the Rubin report, right? When U.S. politics show, but but Douglas Murray is a, I mean, he's he's written this book about uh, the demise of the West, and he's an associate editor at, at, at the Spectator, mainstream right wing newspaper, you know, mainstream magazine. He's he's on that, and he wrote recently, if I'm going to put into context his perception and his his views on Hamza Youssef. And you may not like the SNP. He said, some people are worse than Nazis, referring to Hamas. Average, now note, average members of the SS and other killing units of Hitler's were rarely proud of their average day's work. Many spent their evenings getting blind drunk to forget. And where did this appear? Where did you write this? This was in the Jewish Chronicle. Yes. And yes. you say to yourself, have you gone Alice through the, I'm, I was going to swear there, yeah. have you gone Alice through the looking glass when the Jewish Chronicle is actually promoting anti-Semitic stuff like this, suggesting that the people who carried out the wholesale slaughter of over six million men, women and children who were Jewish, you know, but these, these oh, think of the poor Nazis who had to get drunk to forget about the appalling atrocities they committed. You know, mm-hmm. so that's the man we're talking about there. If you actually stop and think about, oh, maybe he's got a point about Homsay Yusuf. That's the man. That's yeah. what he writes.
0: And there seems to be a kind of tribe of these sensationalists, basically. You know, I mean, I don't know if he's vaguely related to Neil Oliver, but um, oh, yeah. he, sent, he set up the Centre for Social Cohesion. Right. Which you've got to worry about that sort of title in 2007, that then became part of the Henry Jackson Society. And in mm-hmm. case you not remember of any of this stuff, folks, this is a transatlantic foreign policy and national security think tank based in the UK, describing itself as nonpartisan, but described by a whole lot of people uh, with uh, so many footnotes in Wikipedia that you could be here for quite a long time as neoliberal and neoconservative. So, you know, that that's where this seems to be at. But I mean, these guys get bolstered, funded, and and kind of boosted by all of this stuff, and you know, rock up quite regularly, obviously, um, on shows. Now, but the only thing is that show he was on is also an American show. So, I mean, it's it's great that people are alert to what is being said about Scottish, you know, an elected leader uh, here. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I sometimes wonder if we're giving too much airtime to these guys because they, you know, they make some comments on a a channel watched by about seven people. And suddenly they're propelled to exactly where they want to be, which is right in the limelight with everybody throwing pelters at them. You know, anyway, he is um, a nasty piece of work and, uh, you know, best, best avoided. But still, when it comes back to the point, and this is what happens, they chuck this stuff around at you. I mean, I get this a fair bit of the time, um, you know, just to try to basically cow you, you know, so that you just end up not really want to put your head over the parapet. So it's fine that the SNP on in both the Scottish Parliament and uh, Stephen Flynn. I mean, there's a wee video of Stephen Flynn explaining why he's doing his motion tomorrow, his amendment. And it's as calm as you would want anybody yeah. in life. It's just straight whacking bat, you know, the bat right down the middle of the park, not shifty, directly, just you know, words of one syllable, human, humane. Yeah. I'd I'd go that. I'd go for that. That's fine, that. So I mean, I think we should all be watching to see what actually happens tomorrow. And again, um, I think we expect broadcasters to do a proper job on behalf of all of us in Scotland who find. Everything that's happening with this, and this is now just, it's not not just a little, you know, nationalist cabal. This is a a, a largest part of the formal Labour Party of elected uh, parliamentarians who are totally broken over the inability of Labour to stand up for the majority of British people who want to see uh, backing for a ceasefire and, and a move in that direction.
1: Yeah uh it's yeah we we shall we shall we shall see what happens tomorrow on a on a uh, hopefully a a better and brighter note leslie you were at the revived coalition uh conference uh, this last weekend, at which Chris Packham was speaking. And I I saw some of your tweets and it it looked to be very, very positive. uh, And some interesting developments have taken place in the expansion, it looks like, of of Revives, Remit and campaigning.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was really an astonishing turnout. There was, I mean, it was in the Horse Cross, uh, you know, kind of (laughs) new, I still think it's new, uh, kind of centre thing in Perth. Was an enormous auditorium, really. Um, I I guess it's more than a thousand people in the bottom bit of it. There's probably a bit more at the back. So it was totally full. I mean, there must have been at least a thousand people had turned up to to hear an event about grouse moor reform, ostensibly. You know, that's what revive Mm -hmm. is for. It's about reviving the land, the fifth of the land of Scotland, which is currently a driven grouse moor. Um, now, it's, it, I mean, actually, when you look at it, it's called on on Twitter, it's the Revive Coalition. And this is probably part of the strength of it, because it takes in lots of different groupings from the, the League Against Cruel Sports uh, to well, the RSPB to all sorts of different groups. And those folk are absolutely opposed to, you know, shooting little birds on moors, but they're also Usually environmentalists who are horrified at the practices that need to go on to keep grouse moors going, which is that, you know, there's gamekeepers all over the place whose job is to try to remove um, any of of the kind of predators on grouse, which will end up being, you know, everything from golden eagles, which are protected species, uh, through to harriers to all sorts of other birds of prey, you know, which are shot. And they actually had lots of detail about how even when these eagles and other birds are ringed um, there are ways to sort of manage to prize off the, or, or not even ring. They have tracking devices on them. Mm-hmm. The tracking devices are thrown off and then they, the birds are killed. Uh, so there's, 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 there's just plenty of, of anger around that kind of thing, but also the poisoning of the ground because there's all sorts of stuff done, you know, the burning that people will see if they travel through the country as quite common at certain times of year uh, is to try to create a sort of an, an alternate pat, patchwork quilt, if you like, where there's very short burnt bits that um, kind of allows feeding. Then there's longer bits that allows cover. And that's all just just to try to keep one species grouse in enough number to shoot them. Sure. And, and it doesn't matter what you burn in the process. It doesn't matter what species you have to kill in the process. And that's all done, you know, in the name of landowners who, you know, fancy this. Uh, so, I mean, I made a bit of a speech about the, the land. We it moved on to a session about land ownership, which is great, because I was trying to make the point that instead of constantly going to the scene of accidents, we need to start going to the cause of accidents. And that uh, you know, if you go to the cause of the problem behind an awful lot of this, it is the, the completely unregulated land ownership that is just now a weird, um, horrible aspect of, um, of, of normal in Scotland. And so there's a lot of people in the audience who may have not come through the door on the kind of impact on humans, basically, uh, of, of land ownership. But they've certainly got it now because they've traced a lot of this stuff back. And the reason that you can't really do anything very easily is so much about land ownership. Uh, so two things are happening. One is that just before this conference, the Scottish government announced that it would basically move ahead with a ban on snares. So that's one good thing that's kind of in. There's also a bill moving through about grouse moor reform. But again, it looks like one of these ones that, you know, an off a lot of debate at the conference was about, look, don't we just want to ban shooting grouse? And uh, it is an awkward one because, you know, a lot of the people in this coalition are saying, well, you just have to move at the speed that everybody else is moving at. You know, so the Scottish government solution is a licensing one that, you know, again, people are. Yeah, we've been here before on a lot of stuff with licensing. Who's got the person power, the staffing, the whatever, you know, to kind of see that this works? But the final point was um, an announcement by Max Wisniewski, who kind of is one of the main policy officers for Revive, that the next conference they have will be about land reform.
1: Yeah.
0: And in fact, I had been invited. I suddenly thought, gosh, this all fits very neatly because I'd been invited in to talk about what kind of campaign could be set up to try to push land reform. And the problem is that, you know, there's a coalition of charities there with a few bob. Um, who have been able to fund the Revive Coalition and have done really well. You know, they've gone in, they've lobbied, they've shaken the can, they've got people sort of aware of stuff. Um, The problem for mere mortals is that there isn't the same sort of charities around to promote, you know, people living on the land and an equitable distribution of land in Scotland and so on. So the fact that these guys are now shifting over a bit uh, to try and take this sort of issue on as well is tremendous. Uh, So, you know, we'll wait to see what uh, what comes out of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought it's an extremely significant development. And there's a, another event taking place this weekend, is it not? Breakup of Britain, uh, which yep. you referred to. Well, Leanne Wood, I thought was a tremendously interesting uh, uh, comment that she made. It's only when she came into, up to Scotland post-2014. I think it was that uh, even with all our flaws and the the, the, the difficulties we have up here, that, she, she, that this was an eye-opener for her.
0: Yes, um, I, I mean, it's quite a lineup. And I, I mean, I think I feel like I've talked about it quite a bit, but, you know, but there will possibly be people who haven't heard. Uh, Breakout of Britain 50 years ago, Tom Nairn wrote a book with that very name. It was prescient, um, prophetic perhaps, but looked particularly at the fact that because Labour was unwilling to unpick the undemocratic foundations of, the, of Britain, it would be doomed to failure. And thus that, you know, nationalism, which an awful lot of progressives have always had problems with in Scotland's case would be allowing a nation with a kind of very clear perspective of a different kind of constitutional future to get going fundamentally um, so that it was a way of reconciling um, kind of a lot of left politics and um, independence for Scotland. So, uh, yeah, Leanne has has been quite sort of, um, you know, outspoken about how much it was a, a, an incredible thing for her to kind of head north during 2014 and, um, you know, feel that kind of freedom and optimism and, and that different Britain, well, not different Britain, different country, Scotland, trying to get out. And, and I mean, I wrote a column about that trying to make the point that You know, there's a lot of people expecting a lot from the Scots. And even when we're feeling tired and feeling like there's no obvious, you know, way out or no obvious. I mean, I've just come from speaking to two Danish students um, who are doing a, a kind of special study and some journalism about Scottish independence because it's got a huge impact on the future of Denmark. Hello. So. You know, other people are very conscious of where Scotland is on this, and we should never forget that within the UK, we are still we are still the independent minded country that has the capacity. We have the key to the lock. We have it. And, you know, whether or not somebody's standing in front of the door with that lock, we've still got the key. So, you know, we have to try to keep our peckers up and we have to connect with people. So this will be a really interesting conference because it has the likes of Leanne Wood. It has Caroline Lucas from the Greens, Clive Lewis from Labour and many other speakers, um, Irish speakers, coming together to, to try and see, well, okay, the breakup of Britain, basically, let's track where it's at, because In terms of weather, the weather might seem difficult at the moment, but in terms of climate, there's one direction of travel. And it's perceptible in different perspectives from every part of these islands. So if you feel like coming, there's still tickets because the organisers have now got the balcony bit within the assembly rooms. So um, I should have had the thing open in front of me, but it's breakupofbritain.org, I'm pretty sure. And once again, I know some people balk at the price. It's 25 quid for a ticket. And this is simply because there are so many people coming in from, you know, speakers coming in from different arts, but also because there was no institutional backers that, that would have been expected mm-hmm. for a radical conference because this was obviously too radical
1: yeah and i note the mention of denmark and uh, people are waiting with beta breath leslie to see the latest in the films that, that, that you've made which is which is all about denmark what's the what's the news on that front
0: well yeah we did sort of finish editing it and everything uh kind of like about 10 days ago just the reason it's not gone just directly online is simply that um it now falls to me to try to get it into cinemas and places around scotland which is not a small task um we're not sure yet whether some cinemas would be put off by the idea that it's already online and would feel that for whatever reason, that would then make them not want to show it. Uh, so um, I don't, I'm beginning to get to the point of view that actually I don't think it does make a big difference. So I think we're probably pretty close to putting it online. Um, but it would be great if people would be ready to go and actually see it because it is, I can only say to you, a Herculean task. <laughs> That just requires an awful lot of kind of micromanagement. And I'm so, so grateful to many of the yesers who have helped me behind the scenes because knitting together, you know, the, the sort of the dates, the availability, the conditions around the hire, the approaches to people, the persevering until you get the people in all of that has been taken up by yesers in quite a number of different parts of Scotland. And I couldn't do this on my own. So uh, there'll be more to say soon is all I'm saying. And, um, you know, I, I think that the, the Denmark film will be probably online within about two weeks.
1: Well, we'll look forward to that. And I hope you look forward to seeing us in a week's and We'll see you then, chums.